Hi, and welcome to this week's Physics Buzz podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. Since E.O. Lawrence built the first cyclotron in 1929, particle accelerators have gone from being an experiment confined to a research lab to an indispensable tool in industry and medicine. At its most basic, accelerators energize particles and nuclei up to fantastic speeds, nearing the speed of light. Lots of people know about the gigantic Large Hadron Collider and the Tevatron that are probing the fundamental nature of the universe by smashing particles together and seeing what comes out. However, fewer people know about the many different kinds of accelerators there are, and their role in making materials stronger or helping to treat diseases. Elizabeth Clemens from Fermilab told me about the differences between these enormous cutting-edge atom smashers and the accelerators you see used in industry and medicine. So I'm talking about a range of different accelerators. Yes, the big ones that everybody, most people know, are the Tevatron, the Large Hadron Collider. Those are very big, very high energy. There we're talking about trillions of electron volts. The LHC is 16 miles around. But then, on the other side of the spectrum, you have much smaller accelerators that can do all these industrial processes, or they can scan cargo. And there we're talking about a whole different energy range, maybe in the million electron volt range, billion electron volt range. So still high, but you're not gonna, you don't need a 16 mile accelerator to treat shrink wrap. <laughs> That's right. She said shrink wrap. If you have a butterball turkey for Thanksgiving, the shrink wrap that comes around that turkey, the wrap that keeps it fresh, um, that was treated with a particle accelerator. Not the turkey, <laughs> just the, uh, the actual shrink wrap that, that it comes in. It causes a chemical reaction um, in the polymers that make up that shrink wrap. And it causes them to, it's called cross-linking, and it links them together, uh, so it creates a super strong bond. At the same time, New techniques are also being developed to treat cancer with high-energy beams of protons. Of course, research will always be a huge part of what particle accelerators are used for. Most research accelerators aren't atom smashers like the LHC and the Tevatron, but are essentially used as intense light bulbs. John Bozak, a scientist who works at SLAC, uses a particle accelerator in his lab. In our case, we want to accelerate electrons up to relativistic energies or very close to the speed of light so that they will emit x-rays. When you have a very high energy particle and you pass it through a magnetic field, it radiates. It it gives off electromagnetic radiation. In our case, the electrons are in vacuum. They're going close to the speed of light. We pass them through hundreds of meters of magnets and uh, it causes them to radiate in the x-ray regime where we can then use that x-ray radiation to do further experiments with. It's these bright, fast flashes of light that are the real product of these research accelerators. Scientists can use them like camera flashes when taking pictures of things that happen in less time than it takes to blink an eye. What I haven't emphasized is how fast these x-ray pulses are. They're typically 100 femtoseconds in duration or or less, and that's the time scale in which atoms move in, in molecules in chemical reactions. So if we want to take movies of a chemical reaction in progress, we need a flash bulb or we need a flash of light that's as fast as the motion. So, for example, if you take a long exposure picture of a guy going by on a bicycle, you'll get a blur. But if you have a really fast camera, you'll get a snapshot of a guy on a bicycle pedaling. In the same way, we hope to get uh, pictures of molecules molecules undergoing chemical transformations so that we can understand the initiating processes in in a chemical reaction, not just, you know, you mix two chemicals together and you get this final product. How does it actually take place so that we can begin to control chemistry, so we can think more uh, predictively about how chemical reactions will proceed so that we can control them to get the results that we want. The LCLS at SLAC is a linear accelerator, which means its electrons zip down a long straight beam pipe. The other common type are synchrotrons, where the beam pipe turns and forms a big round ring. 
There's a, a whole other electron accelerator facility uh, at SLAC called SSRL, which is a synchrotron light source, um, which is very productive in studying uh, protein crystal structures using X-rays. So it's an electron accelerator to generate X-rays. Those X-rays are then used to uh, carry out a variety of experiments in material science, in biological sciences, environmental sciences. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. There have been some great applications in understanding the speciation of arsenic, uh, which is a, a groundwater pollutant in uh, places like Bangladesh, uh, great experiments in uh, understanding superconductivity, and uh, other fantastic experiments in, in bio-crystal bio, uh, uh, structures, as I mentioned. I had the chance to visit a synchrotron light source. At the Advanced Light Source at Berkeley National Laboratories, I met Simon Morton from the Berkeley Center for Structural Biology, who is one of the 2,000 scientists that use the ALS every year. What we do is protein crystallography, and that's uh, using X-rays to solve the structure of uh, proteins. And the reason that's so important is that proteins work like a, a key in a lock, and the, the function of a protein is related critically to its shape. So it's very important to work out the shape of a protein so you can work out what it does, or what's wrong with it, or um, if it's uh, a protein that's used by a disease vector, like a virus for entering a cell, it's important to work out how that works and how you can prevent it. He told me about his work and how he uses the ALS's X-rays to image these tiny proteins. Protein crystals tend to be quite small, maybe only 100 microns across, sometimes down to maybe 20 microns, 10 microns, and that will be frozen in liquid nitrogen. It has to be kept cold all the time. So the, the uh, samples are stored on the end of uh, pins, literally, and these are kept within a liquid nitrogen bucket and we have a robot that goes in and it grabs samples out of the liquid nitrogen and it sticks them in the beam and we have a beam of um, x-rays which is focused down to a size of about 100 microns to match the, the crystal and that uh, hits the, the crystal and it diffracts off and we get a pattern of dots which appears on a large CCD detector just downstream from the crystal and we rotate the crystal in the beam and collect different diffraction patterns from different orientations and we feed all that data into a computer and that will then calculate out the structure of the, the protein from that. The ALS hosts dozens of workstations with experiments ranging from imaging microscopic cells to probing the properties of superconductors and developing new renewable sources of energy. If you're interested in reading about the advanced light source and see how it works, check out our website at www.physicscentral.com, where you can also listen to more of our podcasts. That's all for this week's Physics Buzz podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.